Welcome to the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club Show presented by Honey Stinger. This is a podcast that will make you want to get outdoors and will give you some great ideas as a sport parent, athlete, or coach. Born in the beautiful mountain town of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, the Winter Sports Club was founded over a century ago and now serves a majority of kids in our community and has produced more Winter Olympians than any other club in North America. There are secrets and great stories to share as we play year-round in these mountains we call home. Our calling is to develop complete athletes on and off the mountain by cultivating a passion for the outdoors and a love of sports at all levels. Stay tuned to hear from Olympians, athletes of all ages, coaches, experts, and people who are doing amazing things to make an impact in our community and in their sport. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former professional triathlete who finally discovered the joys of skiing in my late 40s when I moved to Steamboat Springs with my husband, Tim, and fifth grade daughter, Wilder, both of whom are very involved in the Winter Sports Club as a ski and bike coach and a young athlete. You're about to hear a very special episode featuring one of Steamboat's most amazing Olympians, Olivia Giaccio. This episode was actually recorded last spring, shortly after the Beijing Olympics, as a test run for the SSWSC podcast. Spoiler alert! It includes a very special guest interviewer, my daughter Wilder, who poses the questions that really matter at least to kids. So stay tuned all the way through this one. Thanks for listening. Now let's get started. I am here today with Olivia Giaccio. Olivia is fresh off a sixth place finish at the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. She first hit the national radar in 2016 when she was the junior national champion, followed following it up in 2017 as the dual mogul junior world champion. That's amazing. After that, Olivia turned pro, hit the World Cup tour and started racking up results and confidence. At least that's my take. <laughs> In 2018, she was the first alternate for the for the uh, Winter Olympic Games. So she didn't quite make it that year, but 4 years later she got retribution and not only made the team but made the finals. While I am in awe of her 6th place finish at the games, I may be even more in awe of the fact that she is a brilliant and driven student currently enrolled at an Ivy League school, Columbia University in New York City. Wow, Olivia while the world is your oyster, thank you for joining me today. I can't wait to get this rolling. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. Um, yeah, I'm really excited too. And I was very happy to get things kicked off with Wilder too. Great intro. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, how fun. Isn't it cool? First of all, you did get a warm up with my 10 year old daughter. Mm -hmm. You're her first ever official professional interview. How cool is that? Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, she asked great questions. And then we got a very good conversation going at the end. And um, she got all the important ones in, especially about snacks. So, yeah, I mean, yes. snacks, that might have to be the question that we ask every Everyone. person. Everyone. Yeah, I know. I yeah, know. I in fact, 
you know what? Maybe we should recap it right here. What are you eating <laughs> snacks right now? I just finished eating some snacks. <laughs> no, tell me what, had, tell me, yeah. Tell me about your a, snack strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had breakfast a little bit ago, so I haven't snacked yet, but I was just telling her that, um, I'm a big fan of like gummies and waffles on the Hill. And then, um, any fruit is good too. I really enjoy eating apples on the chairlift and goldfish. Those are probably my all-time favorite snack in general. Oh my gosh. That's so funny because I brought apples on our first family ski lift experience last year. Literally, I learned how to ski in the last few years. And last year was my first season ever. And I brought apples and Wilder and her dad, my husband, laughed me off the lift. They were like, apple <laughs> fruit on the lift. No way. We're only doing candy. I was going to say Wilder's style seems to be like gummy bears, the Rice Krispie treats. I mean, I'll have to try those, but yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, we have kind of a cool trick. So in Steamboat, Halloween's a big deal. Did you ever live here during a Halloween? I was never in town during Halloween, no. Oh, you were probably out competing and doing cool things around the world, but they closed down Main Street and you roam the drag and you score like you have to bring at least maybe two pillowcases for all the candy you get. And so our strategy is that we just use that Halloween candy through the whole ski season. It's our lift treats. <laughs> that is a good strategy. Then you never have to buy anything. <laughs> Right. I think so. You know, while we're on the food topic, this is also kind of interesting. Um, you know, as a woman athlete, I have been interested in women and body image and all the things that being like a female athlete can can do, like how the ways that it can play with your head. And um, you know, I was thinking about like here we are talking about snacks and treats in a really healthy way. Has your eating philosophy ever gone to an extreme where you're trying to really do all the things right to be a high, um, a high performance athlete, but has it ever kind of tipped over the other side and, and brought you into a more negative headspace? Um, I would say I've always had a really healthy relationship with food. Um, I think my sport environment in general is very healthy, especially like female athletes too. Um, just because, um, like our weight isn't measured. We don't have to meet any requirements. We don't have to fit into our uniforms in any particular way. So I've never had to meet any requirements for sport, which I think has given like me a healthy relationship with food in relationship in relation to sport and on our women's team as well. We have a few, I mean, we're all obviously very athletic, but um, there's definitely a range of body types. If you look kind of at the world cup circuit, which is pretty cool too, because you can compete at a very, very high level um, with any kind of body type. And um, I will say though, that it definitely, I think women in sport in general, I mean, I guess eating is some sort of a part of it. Um, my, I have had a strength coach. I don't work with him anymore, but he did tell me that I need needed to drop weight, but I didn't really understand why, because I was um, very strong and I was capable of performing at a really high level at that time. So um, that wasn't something that really impacted me, I would say, but that is a comment that I kind of have remembered. Um, but I would say, I think my strategy for nutrition is to eat whatever makes me feel good, I would say. Oh, 
I love that. <laughs> you are amazing. And I, and I also love the idea that, it, that you pointed out, women of all body types can perform well at this sport, not just perform, but can perform on the world level. And that makes a sport that is somewhat seen as exclusive because of, you know, access to getting on ski hills, more inclusive in a different kind of way. So I like that, you know, that's a little bit of an equalizing effect. Do you agree? Yes. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, Yeah, I think skiing definitely reaches a certain niche of the general public, um, which just because of the cost of the sport in general, which is very tough in some ways and kind of sad just because it narrows down the field quite a lot. But yes, I agree that to some extent that is a little bit of an equalizer. Well, let's come back to inclusivity and breaking barriers and let's 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 go back in time and dig in a little bit to your origin story. I want to learn about Olivia, the little girl. And when you first got on skis, were skis your fir- was skiing your first sport, actually? I mean, I started skiing when I was two. So probably, probably yes. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember my younger brother and I were definitely playing soccer pretty young as well, whenever those like mini leagues start. So yeah, it was probably pretty close behind. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my gosh. You were one of those little peanuts on those <laughs> tiny little baby skis. So who took you out skiing? Um, my parents did, although we were in ski school. So neither of my parents actually know how to ski. They're both snowboarders. Um, and so they had my brother and I learn how to ski first and we both know how to snowboard as well, but they'd heard that, um, learning to ski when you're younger is easier to pick up before snowboarding. Um, And they wanted us to be able to do both, but they would like, after we learned how to ski, they would carry us with those little leashes and we'd follow behind them. Um, yeah, on the weekends. (laughs) Oh gosh. I just love that so much. It's always so cute. I mean, I, I, I'm very envious of anybody who gets on skis early in life. And so I was going to ask you like, wow, was skiing, was it love at first sight, but you were two. I don't know if you'll really remember that. (laughs) Nope. I mean, I don't, I have always loved it since I can remember, but yeah, don't remember the first time. Well, and you know, we mentioned, you know, being strong, you mentioned this earlier and I think of body and mind, right. And the things that sport brings you, were there any times where your love for skiing wavered a little bit throughout the years? I wouldn't say my love for skiing wavered. Instead, I would say it's more of like a kind of a touchstone that I would come back to in times when I would get really, really frustrated. Um, I think having, like, I remember after the 20 or during the time period of the 2018 games was one of them. That was definitely a pretty tough month for me, but I learned a lot. And there were some days where um, I would just, I went out free skiing with one of my teammates, actually. Um, I remember a particular day, it was shortly after Um, neither of us had made the games and it was her last season actually. And she never got to go to an Olympics, even though, um, she, that was like one of her biggest goals in skiing. And the two of us just went out free skiing all day on, um, canyons and park city. And we both kind of like tapped into that love for the sport again. And that was definitely a much needed experience. So I would say it hasn't wavered. It's just easier to lose sight of, I think, in times of frustration or when you're struggling with competing. 
You know, you just brought something up that I think is really important that people hear, whether they're kids or their parents who are experiencing this or parents who are watching kids go through the ups and downs and ebbs and flows, is that if you can find that thing that you can use throughout your life to tap back in, that's the key. And for you, it was a simple free skiing day of Mm -hmm. no expectations, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think one thing too, from that experience that I learned is like, if, and that was one thing, this was one thing I had in mind going into 2022, because um, before the season started, I, I mean, in some senses, I was a little bit of an underdog last year. I came back from my ACL injury and then going into this year, we had seven really, really strong girls and I was ranked sixth. So going into the first world cup, I didn't even necessarily know if I was going to have a start, let alone if I was, or well, I knew going into the first world cup that I would be starting, but all of prep season, I didn't know if I was going to have a world cup start at that first event in Finland, let alone be able to make the um, Olympic team with only four spots available. And Um, one thing I remembered from 2018 was that like, if I didn't make the games, it was going to be okay. And that was one thing throughout the whole qualification process in 2018, I was just very scared of not making the games. And that's exactly what I attracted. I was, I had no idea what was going to happen if I didn't make it. And it wasn't the end of the world. I was able to find myself outside of skiing and understand that I am like a human being first and foremost. And my identity does not rely upon skiing, even though I give so much of my life to it. Um, and so I think going into 2022, that was a little bit of a, like a weight lifted and some like kind of a mental perspective that enabled me to perform the way that I did. I, you just hit on like five topics that all are important <laughs> to, uh, to flush out. I mean, the first one is that, it's about our identities being wrapped up in the thing we do. And, mm-hmm. you know, if we backtrack just a little bit, am I, am I right to say that you really hit the scene when you won nationals in 2016? Um, so Is that kind of a big breakthrough. I would say that year in general was a bit of a breakthrough for me. So 2016, 15, 16 was my first year with SSWSC and that was the year I also made the U.S. ski team. So I went into U.S. selections. I performed really well. And there were a lot of U.S. team women athletes at that event at that time, too, which was crazy. So I ended up on being able to get a World Cup start ahead of some of them um, at Deer Valley. And I performed well at Deer Valley, too, and made finals in my first World Cup event. So I'd say that. And then... Um, Junior Nationals is a little bit of like a lower scale event, but that was a big moment for me too, because I had always kind of wanted a junior national title and then um, Nationals later that year. So I would say yes, like second at Nationals and making finals at my first World Cup is kind of when I broke onto the scene a little bit. And how old were you? 15. And 15 is very young to be competing (laughs) at the world level which you were, that was it. Like from then on, you couldn't go back to competing at the state level. Like, boom, now you were on the scene. You were known as one of the top American athletes in your discipline. And 
that's a lot of pressure to carry and a lot to, I mean, when we're talking about forming your identity, 15, 16 years old, that's when a lot of girls are dealing with their first boyfriend or, (laughs) you know, cramming for their, you know, failing their first high school test as a sophomore and dealing with what happens with that. Like Mm -hmm. here you are, in a whole different world of pressure and intensity. I mean, did mm-hmm. that hit you at the time that your life was very different than your peers? Um, in some ways, yes. I mean, I knew that I didn't have like a normal high school experience. And so even though I kind of did break onto the scene, then I would say that it like one of the same teammate who I free skied with. And I just shared that story about um, she's like a good friend and kind of like mentor of mine, um, when I first made the U S ski team. And one thing she told me, I remember vividly was just like, when you make the team, that's really only the first half of the battle. The second half that not a lot of people are aware of is like, yes, you're on the U S ski team, but now you're competing for world championships, spots, Olympic spots, world cup spots. And so you, there is kind of this perception that you are one of the top in the world, but after like 2015, 16, when I first made it onto the U S ski team, there was still definitely some like, um, work to do, I would say to become a regular on world cup and to go to my first world championships. And I would, so I would say the next year, 2016, 17, my first year on the U S ski team was the first year I also did world cup. And that was a big step for me. And I don't think that it, I necessarily understood what was happening in a lot of ways. I was very much a deer in the headlights. And um, yeah, so that was my junior year. And I was trying to like balance, like you said, like calculus, I really struggled that year. And then I went to like five different new countries that I hadn't experienced before. And um, yeah, I think it's easier to say looking back um, about like kind of my high school experience and that time being different than my peers. I it's way easier to see in hindsight, as they say, hindsight is 2020. And for some things I would like, it would have been nice to have a normal high school experience, but I am appreciative of the path that I'm on. And one thing I will say is also, um, I mean, I never went to high school in steamboat, but that seems like a great way where you can do both. Like my teammate Jalen, she went to the public high school and she was able to have a normal high school experience and be able to ski at like high levels. And then, progress and make the U.S. ski team, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but that's like a one of a kind ski town that, yeah, doesn't happen otherwise. (laughs) It's interesting because you mentioned like normal, the word normal, the normal high school experience. And the truth is whatever we each individually go through is our normal. So your normal was quite different than Jalen's normal, but her normal was different than a lot of the other kids who went to that high school too. So it it is, it's just, it's really cool. It's all relative. (laughs) It is. It's all relative. And you know, when you were uh, chatting with my daughter Wilder, you said, have you chosen a sport yet? So it crossed my mind. There are some athletes who, as they get older, can change disciplines Um, or add disciplines or change sports entirely and continue to make Olympic teams. (laughs) Like, for instance, um, I had a friend in triathlon who made the teams as a swimmer. 
she medaled. Then she made the teams as a triathlete, the games and medaled. And then she made the games as a uh, modern pentathlete. Like there were all kinds of different ways that she could ebb and flow. Do you have to choose what sport you're going to specialize in, in, in the ski and snowboard board world by the age of 10, or you don't have a shot? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, that is funny. Cause that is something that I, I remember skiing with you tens at, uh, the winter sports club this winter. And that was a question that I did ask a lot of them, but it was cool because almost all of them couldn't give me an answer. And I think that's one thing that's also special about the environment because I think most other ski clubs, you do choose a sport by 10. And so by 10, I was, I mean, like that was the first year I competed though, but and I could have switched sports, but I really had no desire to do so. So as soon as I competed in a mogul competition, I was like, oh, this is what sport I want to do and what I want to go to the Olympics in. Um, but I don't think that you have to choose a sport by 10. And I mean, I think that like, as long as you have a good base of fundamentals in skiing, you can really, I feel like progress anywhere that you want to. Um, yeah, I think it just kind of depends on what they like when actual competitions start and when they begin competing in general. But competing to some extent, your mindset is going to be similar no matter the sport. And now a quick break to hear from our show sponsor, Honey Stinger. Honey Stinger produces fuel for all levels of athletes using delicious honey and organic ingredients. Not only is honey rich in antioxidants, but it's also easily digested and absorbed quickly into the system to help you prepare, perform, and recover. Personally, if energy products don't taste great, I won't eat them, and I bet you agree with me. That's why I love everything Honey Stinger offers because their products are delicious. You don't even realize you're getting fueled because it just tastes like you're eating dessert. And I have never met someone who doesn't love dessert any time of day. Discover what the buzz is all about on HoneyStinger.com. Get this. Use this code SSWSC podcast for 20% off organic waffles, chews, gels, bars, and hydration to help you sweeten the burn. I'm going to repeat that for you because it's such a great deal. Get going over to HoneyStinger.com and use the code SSWSC podcast for 20% off. And now back to the show. You know, uh, a quick thing about Winter Sports Club that is really cool as a parent who is, you know, watching all this unfold for the first time, we didn't, we don't know what to put our 10 year old kid in right? We have no idea what she's going to like. We just thought, oh, maybe we could give her a little bit of everything. Well, Winter Sports Club has a program they call the Ski Meister. And so for U10s, I mean, Wilder did three days after school. One day was cross country and they did both classic and skate. One day was um, Alpine having fun doing stuff over at Howelson. And one day was ski jumping. And we just always 
were mind blown that nine-year-olds, eight-year-olds, six-year-olds were jumping. Like we would go, it's not jumping like what you do, having fun doing flips, doing the cork 1080s, you know, all that fun. Um, it's literally like flying through the air, you know, <laughs> and, and we would always tell people it's the kind they do at the Olympics. Cause that's the only place people think of for ski jumping. And I think it's really special that they offer a program that allows kids to do multiple disciplines at a young age until they figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. That's so rare. And I mean, I grew up skiing at Killington and my mom just signed my brother and I up for a random program and it happened to be moguls. So, and they didn't have something like that. And I agree. I think that's very, very special about SSWSC and it allows them to explore and get experience in a bunch of different disciplines yeah. before they can actually pick. And then when they pick, it is their choice fully. Yeah. Yes. So, but you, you just sort of gravitated. So one of the things that I kind of heard come out is that you never second guessed moguls. And I've often wondered if we gravitate to the things we're great at because they make us feel good. Or if we gravitate to something because of some other factor, but like I'm what I'm hearing you and I'm like, well, once you start to have some success, then you gain confidence. And once you gain confidence, it makes you want to do it more. And it makes you go, oh, well, I was on the podium. I like that feeling. I want to hit the podium again. You know, is that what drove you? Or was there some element of, I just love the feeling of my body and my like, crafting, honing the skill of being able to go over these crazy bumps and then learn these cool tricks that I could do as I fly down a mountain? Like, what was it that really fueled the charge for you over the last decade? It would definitely be the latter, I think. So my first mobile competition ever at the time, it was scored out of 30 instead of 100. And I got like a five points on my first run and then 2.5, I think on my second run, I skied full runs. I didn't fall on either. They just weren't great. And like my mom, I remember during the award ceremony, she brought out her camera because she thought I was going to get an award. I was not even close. Like, um, but I will say it. That's, I mean, I, I didn't really podium that much when I was younger and, um, I didn't really, I like, I've never had a Noram podium, which I mean, of the time that I've been on the U S ski team, that's, I'm like the only person without one. So like, that is, it doesn't sound great, but I didn't like podium a ton when I was younger. I would say it was more like what always drew me to the sport was, um, the fact that it combined three elements that I really, really liked in skiing. Like you had to be good at all three. Also, you can't just be fantastic at turns and then so slow and a bad jumper you're not going to win um, or do really well at events so I really love that you had to kind of figure out how to be consistent and combine skills and um, jumping speed and turn technique Um, and I think that combination is really really challenging to master which is kind of what drives me I would say is improving in all three aspects It is so bringing back triathlon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And, you know, there is something to the fact that 
it is virtually impossible to be perfect in all three things in any one day, in any one competition. And that maybe there's a little bit of this, uh, this kind of concept that perfectionists may be drawn to what you do because you can always do something better. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting <laughs> because I would definitely consider myself in the past having been a perfectionist. I think I still have perfectionist tendencies, but that's one thing that my sports psych and I have kind of moved away from and more like having an improving mindset um, where I'm focusing on what small things I can do better as opposed to making it perfect. And I think that's where mogul skiing too is really interesting is kind of like this dichotomy and how the sport has progressed in general, because it used to be, and so now there's kind of an interesting combination of people where um, when mogul skiing started, it was like this like free bumping and kind of expressive sport where you could do whatever you wanted. And it was um, very loose in some ways, but then when as the sport changed, it became very perfection driven, I think. And so, I mean, the sport is scored where you should like off of a basis where you should be perfect, but you're never going to get there in any of the three aspects. I mean, you can max out speed points, but maxing out the other two is impossible. I don't think it's been done. (laughs) And I mean, in my opinion, it should never be done because there are always ways in which you can make it better. So I think in some ways that's kind of an interesting, um, like barrier that I've come up against personally, because it it definitely shows itself in the way people train because there are very um, regimented training methods. And then there are also people who kind of wanted to go about it in more of like a free spirited way. And I think more towards like kind of the old traditions of mogul skiing, I guess. Well, where do you fall? Uh, Probably more of the perfection base because I'm um, because of my personality. I think though, like in the way the sport operates today, you do have to embody that to a certain extent. And there are, are people who are trying to bring back like pro mogul events who are trying to kind of bring back that, older, more free aspect of freestyle, which I understand. Like I, I do kind of grasp both sides. I do think that like, um, slope style, half pipe, big air are more of what has progressed into the more like free spirited, more like stylish, I guess, sports for lack of a better word. <laughs> so funny. I, like the glamour sports, but you know, you're also a risk taker and you are a barrier breaker and you have done, you have done one big thing that had never been done before you. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. The cork 1080. <laughs> Am I right here? Yes, you are. Awesome. <laughs> so like how, why did you decide something new had to happen? You know, you could have been perfectly great in your career without trying Mm -hmm. to land something new and break this barrier. And are you continuing to try to break barriers? So let's start with the one you broke. Mm -hmm. Like, how did that happen? And what happened in the world in your sport when you did it? Yeah. So I essentially, when I was little, it was when I first started skiing moguls, I was put in a group with my younger brother and it was 
I was the only girl in the group. It was all boys. And I loved following them around. I'd hit anything they'd hit, do whatever tricks they did. And so that was kind of like a mindset that I adopted then and something that I've kind of never let go of. And I think that's really helped me, especially in the um, air aspect of the sport. And I mean, in some ways it does sound sexist, but I guess that's kind of how it is. Like, especially like through teenage years with girls, like I do um, coach the water ramps in the summer and you can see the difference before um, girls kind of hit puberty and kind of develop that sort of fear-based thinking that stops them from a lot of things. Whereas boys are like the opposite end of the spectrum. They'll try anything. And so I think that is something that um, kind of helped and don't get me wrong. Like I've been scared plenty of times. <laughs> um, but I would say that's something that has kind of helped my mindset over the years and something I'm glad that I've never lost, I would say. Um, and so one year I wasn't even training with, or I was training with the U S ski team, but they were on a break. And so I, um, trained for a week with the local program, um, Wasatch freestyle. And, um, there were two boys that were my age who were learning cork tens. And I was like, I want to learn them too on water ramps. And so I did them <laughs> and I kind of like, I mean, that was something that I had never even thought of, I guess, for that year. Like I didn't anticipate learning that on water ramps because that just wasn't something that girls really did or needed to do. And so I kind of honed in that trick all summer and, um, did my first cork sevens and tens on snow in the same year. And then, um, brought it to like a mogul course that fall. And then it was my goal to compete at that season, but the season kind of slipped by and, um, that was 2018, 19. So it was a world championships year. And it was kind of like, I was trying to get to world championships. And then afterwards I was going to do it. And, um, I struggled a lot going into world championships just with that was my first year in, sorry, I might be explaining this a bit odd, but in the 2017, 18 season, the Olympic season, I competed 360 to back lay. And then the following year, that year with the 10, I competed back full to cork seven, pretty much every run. And so that was a big mental step for me. And I think um, indicative of the way the sport has changed a lot over the past four years. I was just like a little bit ahead of the curve before. Um, and that was a goal that I had had too. And so I think um, changing the sport in that way and trying to be consistent with that. But that year going into world championships, I was not consistent at all to the point where I needed to be with that back full to cork seven. So I wasn't even laying cut down competition runs to get me into super finals where I wanted to showcase that 10. So I didn't really even give myself the opportunity. And then I made super finals at the last world cup event of the year in Kazakhstan. And again, because I was inconsistent at the time, I um, messed up my top air trick. And then immediately what popped into my head was I'm going to just do a cork 10 on bottom air. I don't really care if I land it. I hadn't done one since December, which I guess in hindsight could have been a stupid decision, but that was ages ago now. And, um, so I just did it and it was, that was pretty cool, I guess, but it definitely stuck in my head that I hadn't landed it. And yes, I tried it and become the first girl to try it, but it, I felt like it wouldn't really make an impression on the sport until I did land it. And so between 2019 and 2022, it's crazy to think that 
three years passed, but I mean, between then a lot of different things happened. I mean, I tore my knee qualified or won my first world cup, worked my way back up to world cup from my knee injury. Um, and then all the while in between this summer, I knew that at some point this season, I did want to do my cork 10 and I didn't know when it was going to happen given the whole Olympic qualification, but I did want to do it. And so, um, that was also one thing for me in January, we had like eight cloth. Yeah. I think eight qualifying events for the games in 2022. And we had some in 2021 as well, but, um, I was really only eligible for the ones in 2022. And I had done like a decent job with my world cup winning Ruka, but by no means it was my Olympic spot secured. However, like the course in Tremblant kind of played to my strengths with it showcasing the airs a little bit. And then um, it kind of in a really good way, like it took my focus off of the Olympic qualifying process and achieving like another sport based, not results based at all, like just performance based goal of mine that I'd wanted to do for years and had been three years since I essentially started the goal. So um, kind of taking my focus off of results in that moment too, was a really, really like great timing too. And um, yeah, that was definitely one of my top moments of the season and the performance, I guess, that I'm really proud of. And that was also really neat too, at the bottom after I'd done the cork 10, cause I was doing it like during, sorry, this is so long. I love like this. This is so cool. Yeah. Well, for all the like moguled geeks out there, they're like, just can't, you know, keep going, keep going, <laughs> digging deeper. I was going to say, um, going into, it's pretty funny just to like during training that day, finals training, like I did some in finals training and you know that I start to catch like people's attention and like, some competitors are coming up to me and being like, Oh, are you going to do it? And like laughing back and like answering kind of cleverly, but like kind of saying that, yeah, I'd like to, and then um, doing it in finals and getting back to the bottom. And usually every national team is only cheering for their own team um, just because of the nature of the sport and whatever the nation's cup um, that's awarded at the end of every world cup season. But when I got to the bottom, the whole bottom, like of coaches and athletes was cheering for me after I had landed that because it was monumental for the sport. And that was a very cool moment. And I will say that since 2019, I think since that year, especially 2018, 19, there were a lot of 360 backflip runs still going. And then since then, um, the sport has progressed a ton on the women's side of things. And you have like to be competitive you have to be doing two flips in your run, which is awesome with the exception of the Olympic bronze medalist from this year. But that was the only 360 in the entire event. So. Wow. (laughs) You know, you hit on something here. So you, this was a long process and long journey to actually feeling, you know, the true success of like doing something in a trailblazing way. And you said that, when you eliminated your attachment to your outcome, that when you said, I'm not going to worry about the result, 
that is when you freed yourself up to have your best performance and to have those breakthroughs. And I will, and I'm pointing this out because I think it's important for people to hear and remember that you experienced one of, I hate to call it heartbreak because it's amazing, but you were the first alternate for the 2018 games. It's like the worst place to be. You know, you didn't quite make the team. You were the first runner up. We used to joke and say like, yeah, you either win or you're the first loser. I mean, it's a terrible mindset, but a lot of times heart athletes who are so hard on ourselves, it's how we, how we think. And you got through that by going out, finding the joy that you had for the sport that you've been doing since you're, you're two, you know, and it doesn't escape me that over this journey of the next few years where you were kind of having some setbacks along the way, both physical and mental, it sounds like, um, that you really did take forward what you learned from that 2018 experience to help you become one of the big pioneers of, you know, the new most kick-ass tricks you could do out there. <laughs> I just have so much respect for that. And I kind of wanted to sum that up. Do you, does that feel accurate? Yeah, I would say so. That definitely rings true. And I, I appreciate that. I would definitely say that it kind of like from the 2018 games, not wrapping up my identity with the sport and not being so focused on results. That's kind of when that all started. But then my knee injury at the very end of 2019 and the whole recovery process I went through after that really like solidified that for me. And I felt like it was from that whole year and a half long experience that I was really able to come into this season and give it my all and not really look back at all and use kind of what I had taken from my past to be able to focus 100% on the process, which given the whole Olympic qualifying experience. And I mean, it's, it, it's definitely crazy and it's wild how the environment turns just within my team in general from um, non-Olympic years to the Olympic year. And there's just so much more pressure in a sense. And it's hard. It's so hard not to focus on results. And especially this year when we're isolated for so long, like for 2022 going into the Olympics, I hadn't been unmasked in a room with anyone else other than one teammate for two months before the games or a month and a half, I guess, um, before the games. So there's a lot of time to like reflect and think in my own head. And it's hard not to think about results, but Um, I would definitely say focusing on the process and like what I told Wilder, the one thing you can do in that moment to improve, that was absolutely key for me and keeping it simple and process focused. Keeping it simple. Are you happy with how the games went this year? Um, yes, I was, I think it was a good all around experience. Um, I, was really happy with how I was able to compete and make it into that super finals run. Um, I mean, as I said, I would have loved to walk away with a medal, but I mean, it wasn't meant to be. And I think I had a great experience that will prepare me for next time, hopefully. Next time. So is 2026 on the radar? Mm-hmm. It is. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But in between, okay, we are going <laughs> to wrap up here because you've got a lot going on right now. Um, you are currently focused on your undergraduate degree. 
and you're going to one of the top Ivy League schools in the country, in the world, Columbia University. How did that feel having grown up in tiny little mountain towns Mm -hmm. And here you land in the biggest city in the country, one of the biggest, most robust cities in the world. Um, How how was that transition? Um, It's been good. So I actually haven't spent a ton ton of time there yet. Um, I did my freshman year and I'm almost done with sophomore year, but um, freshman and sophomore year through COVID when it was all online. And so I did like online classes through that whole World Cup season. And I've done um, a summer in New York City, actually. And then I'll be going there July and August of this year um, to get more school done. But I love New York City. And for some, some part of it is because it's so different than what I'm used to. And um, I really love how like vibrant and bustling it is. And there's, I feel like there's really no better place to learn, no better environment to learn in. So I'm very excited to be more a part of that soon. Well, and it's really, it's crazy because, you know, pro sports, you can drag that out for quite some time, but um, there does come a, a time when our bodies don't want to do it anymore and the real world calls <laughs> and it does help to be stoking some other passions. So outside of sport, what would you say your passions are right now? Um. I really enjoy learning of any sort. And I will say that's one thing that my parents like always made sure that I did was that I had backup plan and a great education um, no matter what, because skiing is here now. But as you said, sometimes your body doesn't want to do it anymore. And so um, you never know where your path may take you. And I'm really glad that I um, do have this kind of opportunity to learn throughout skiing and then after as well. And um I will say, I guess, outside of um, learning, like in an educational environment, I really enjoy anything outdoors these days. Um, I love being like picking up new hobbies and kind of being like a novice in certain ways, because it brings you back to that kind of excitement of trying something new. So um, a couple, two years ago, I got into road biking last year was mountain biking. Um, And then I think I'll definitely continue with that this year. Um, once it gets a little bit warmer, but really anything outdoors is fair game. <laughs> you know, and if you make the decision right now that no matter what you do for a job in your life, as long as you leave time for that outdoor exploration and the learning and the other things, you will be a happy human. And that's what we want. Two that's last questions. <laughs> the first one is for parents. I want to give parents some advice for their budding athletes, whether they're in the winter sports club or any other athletic program out there. What did your parents do or not do? Sometimes what they didn't do um, is more important that positively impacted your athletic trajectory. So many things. It's crazy. They're like, by far my biggest supporters. And I mean, I definitely would not be even close to where I am without them. Um, I would definitely say if there was one all encompassing thing, it would be the general support that they've given me over the years and how much they've listened to me and kind of what I wanted and then helped me make that happen. Like when I tried out the winter sports club um, for a day of water ramps, or a couple of days of water ramps. I remember getting in the car and telling my mom, like, I, I'm so much happier here. Like this 
is going to get me to the next level. And I really believe that just because it's so much more individualized. And I'm just an athlete who was there for a couple of days before um, they didn't necessarily even have to like give me that shot or even try um, to see if I'd fit into their group at the winter sports club. And um, she looked at me and she said, okay, we'll make that happen. And so she did. (laughs) Yeah. She helped to drive me on during that fall. We drove every day from Vail to steamboat for water ramps. And I mean, that's just one thing on like the countless list that they've done or the countless list of things or the, the list of countless things that they've done for me (laughs) over the years. Um, but I would say they've always listened to what I've wanted and they've helped me figure out the ways to get there. And I mean, I think that sort of mindset, I've learned so much from them in the sense that, um, if there's anything that I want to get done, um, I can do it. There's always a way to do it. I just have to figure out what that is. And, um, I can ask for help, but if I want it done, right, then I should do it myself. (laughs) Oh, I just, I love your parents. I'm going to have to have them on the show too. That's amazing. You know, that's truly amazing. And that's, uh, that's important. So hopefully all the parents listening are, are reminding themselves that even when it's hard and you got to drive an hour 45 each way can pay off. Um, all right. Final question. So one of the coolest things in the world, one of the things that made me realize that you're one of the coolest people in the world is that (laughs) after the Olympics, you came back and you went skiing with you 10 kids in steamboat. I mean, come on. My daughter came home and was like, I ski with Olympian. She signed my helmet and my gloves and something else in my lip, or I don't know what it was, but, um, it just, not everyone does that, you know? And I just feel like we should end this by giving the kids, you know, what do you want to say to all the kids out there of any age who are chasing their athletic dreams? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will say in general before I say that is like, I am very, very thankful to the Winter Sports Club in general because of the way that I feel like Steamboat and the community has kind of taken me in. I think that I've moved around a ton over the years, but and haven't necessarily felt welcome in every place that I've been, but um, Steamboat immediately opened their arms to me and have always been there for anything that I've needed, even if, as I progressed onto the U.S. ski team. Um, and I'm very thankful for that in general. And I mean, honestly, that day with the U10s was so fun. I couldn't believe that they're all so excited. <laughs> honestly, I had no idea what like the day was going to be like. And I was really happy to um, participate in everything. And it was very, very cool to kind of see that reaction. And I think it was also neat too to, I think, come back before the Olympics were over because the stoke level was still so high, especially in steamboat. And I could tell them like, Oh, have you heard of blah, 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 who are like, I don't know all of the steamboat athletes who went to the games this year, like Decra's the hundredth athlete or like, and seeing them all in Beijing. And I didn't get to watch any events, but um, I don't know, just getting that excitement level high um, was really, really cool with those younger athletes. Um, and then I would say to all of the younger athletes, I would say just, I mean, keep it simple and keep it fun. And I guess look for that one thing to improve and enjoy the moment because it definitely doesn't last forever. And 
they're having a lot of fun while doing it. So I don't know, keep it that way. I mean, I guess that is kind of geared towards what I would tell my younger self, but my younger self was more serious than most kids. So (laughs) I think they'll have a lot of fun with it anyways. Well, your younger self has turned into an amazing older self and there's a lot more to come from you, Olivia. So thanks for joining me today. You are a complete rock star. I cannot wait to see what you do next in all areas of your life. Thank you, Nicole. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. What an amazing athlete and an even more amazing person. I cannot wait to see what Olivia does next, and I'm sure you can't wait either. But before we go, here's a little extra credit. My 10-year-old daughter, Wilder DeBoom, stepped behind the mic to ask the questions that really matter. A little background. Wilder did the Ski Meister program this winter with the Winter Sports Club. It includes a little bit of everything, Nordic skiing, alpine skiing, and ski jumping. A few weeks after the Olympics, her group had a surprise guest appearance by none other than Olivia Giaccio. When Wilder heard I was interviewing her, she prepared her own set of questions. Enjoy. Hi. Hi, Wilder. How are you? I'm good. Nice to see you again. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you. What's your question? How old were you when you first started the Winter Sports Club? So I started competing in moguls when I was 10, but I didn't move to Steamboat to the Winter Sports Club until I was 15. I had Mm -hmm. skied on the East Coast and in Vail before that, but I made the U.S. ski team from the Winter Sports Club. Wow. I have advice for you for the rest of your life. What is it? Always bring snacks wherever you go. Noted. (laughs) What snacks do you recommend? Oh, I'm a big fan of Honey Stinger anything, pretty much. I love their waffles and gummies. Those are my favorite. Any fruit on the hill I also really enjoy, like eating an apple during training on the lift is something I do pretty often, or goldfish. I always have goldfish. Oh, <laughs> goldfish are fun. Yeah. I, I definitely suggest eat. having candy. Mm-hmm. Candy. Yeah, the Honey Stinger gummies pretty much taste like candy to me. So. Yeah, my dad brings me gummy bears. Oh, nice. gummy bears. And I also suggest Rice Krispie Treats. Normally, I have strawberry oh. Rice Krispie Treats. They're really good. Have you ever been really scared when you skied? Yes, definitely. Sometimes when trying a new trick or... Even like right before competing, sometimes I get really nervous. And like the Olympics, the Olympics, I actually wasn't that nervous more because I was just so excited because I mean, it was my first Olympics and I was really excited to perform really well and kind of show the whole world like what mogul skiing was. And especially on the girls side, there was a lot of new tricks being competed, like compared to the last Olympics. So it was really exciting to be a part of all of that. I would probably say... Like I was really, really nervous for my first World Cup ever. I think, yeah, first events usually. Sometimes like I'll just have a random event where I get really nervous as well. I get nervous for a lot of things. Yeah, that's okay. As long as you can kind of figure out how to use that to your advantage too. And also whenever I stand at the top of a ski jump, I get so nervous. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, scared when you're ski jumping and you're going off like a really high jump and then Mm -hmm. it makes you feel like you're not going to land it. But then if you don't land it, you know, you're fine. Unless Mm -hmm. like 
you're not fine, but yeah, <laughs> it's really scary when you fall because sometimes you like have a really bad crash. Mm-hmm. Normally, I don't fall, so. That's good. I was also going to say, though, when you land it, doesn't it feel so good, especially if you were nervous before and then you like feel like you accomplished something really big? Mm hmm. Yeah. Tell me about the Olympics. Are you happy with what you did? Yes, I was. It's very easy to say that I would have loved to come home with a medal, but the whole experience was really cool and it was something I've always dreamed of doing. So that was just to compete. That was awesome. And like standing up at the top of the course before my first run in the Olympics, that was just kind of an incredible feeling for me just because it felt like it had taken a lot to get there. And then all of a sudden I was finally there. And in some days, like training over the summer when workouts or water ramping got really difficult and I got frustrated, sometimes like the Olympics seemed so far away. And In some ways, even when I qualified, it didn't seem real until I really was there competing. But it all happened so fast, too. I mean, we did qualifications and then opening ceremonies and then finals. And then we left China just because we had only one event. Whereas like I had a bunch of friends who were there until the very end, like people on the US ski team as well. So that was weird to come back home and then see all the events on TV and be like, I was just there. It felt totally different in person than it did watching on TV. and Yeah. I mean, sixth place is really amazing. Thank you. Really close to getting that. a medal. So I recently just drove to Utah. Really uh-huh. long drive. It is a long drive. To get a puppy. How is the puppy? I was going to ask. He's adorable, but he's annoying. <laughs> he's annoying? Sometimes. Does he jump all over you? Yeah, but like he sleeps a lot, so... He's really cute. Yeah, I bet. That's awesome. How old is he? He's about 10 weeks. Oh, wow. So he's so little. Mm-hmm. I heard that you volunteer at Nuzzle & Co., an adoption agency for pets. I volunteered there a few years ago when I had first moved to Park City. And also, that's one thing I'm starting to do this summer is a lot of dog sitting Yeah, that's a fun way to kind of like have fun with pets and make a little bit of money too, which is nice. And at Nuzzles, we would usually just do a lot of like dog walks for the animals that are in the adoption center. Yeah, I enjoyed it. That was nice. Sounds very fun. I love pets in general. Did you have any other pets before this, before the puppy? Well, my parents had one like 20 years ago. Oh, okay. So this is your first dog? Yeah. What do you do? Do you take him for walks? Yeah, and we have to wipe his butt. Oh. <laughs> That's one thing my parents make me do. Oh. <laughs> they don't want to do it. At least you're learning. <laughs> Is there any advice you have for me as a 10-year-old? I would definitely say have fun with whatever you're doing and work really hard so that you can get a little less nervous. And I mean, I think it's just kind of keeping things simple, figuring out one thing you can do every single day to improve to be your best is another thing that I would highly recommend just to stay focused on like the big aspect of how you can improve every single day that you train and having just one thing that you're focusing on keeps you very highly focused on what you need to do in the moment. And that's something that I still use. And it's very simple and very efficient. And I feel like you can improve really quickly with that. What do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, the final question. When I was little, I said that I wanted to be a ballerina. 
that didn't even come close to happening. And I stopped ballet when I was five. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But now I would probably say skiing is pretty cool. So I want to keep being a mogul skier. And then when I'm done with that, maybe a journalist or a psychologist. What about you? I want to be a ski jumper and a singer slash songwriter slash musician. That's fun. For what kind of music? Well, I don't know. I really like rock and roll. Oh. I kind of want to be a master falconer. Kind Wait, of. What is, what is master that? falconer. It's when you, when you, when you, birds of prey and you can have five birds. Oh, five wild okay. Birds and then unlimited amount of domesticated birds. Oh, cool. Okay. I didn't know that that's what it was called. That's awesome. So are you going to get a bird anytime soon? No. <laughs> How are you going to start to pursue that? I I don't know. I may not. I don't know. Yeah, that could just be a side hobby, too. Be a hobby. Yeah. Thank you so much for letting me interview you. Thank you. You did so well. Thank you. You're really awesome. So are you. I can't wait to see how ski jumping goes for you next year and beyond. Over and out. Thank you for listening to the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club Show presented by Honey Stinger. Check out the club's winter and summer programs at sswsc.org. If you have a special topic or guest you want featured, we'd love to hear from you. Now get out there and support, lead, or be a champion on or off the mountain.